0: Welcome to the Social Fabric Podcast with me, Andrea Splendori, and this week I'll bring you a live recording from the Whale Theatre in Greystones. This podcast was called From Couch to Eternity, and it's a look into running in all its aspects. My guests were Barry Smith, René Borg, and Levy, and Orla Byrne. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, share, and review, it's really important. And it makes a big difference. The title tune is Happy and Shiny by the Roundabout Us. For everybody to come back, there's no rush. There's no rush. Uh, hurry up. Uh, while we're waiting for everybody to come back, we're gonna pick somebody here uh, to pick the winning ticket. And uh, let's see. Hello. Let's see. Let's use size six. <laughs> um, Max, you you'll pick the, the ticket, will you? Just mix it up and then. Uh, so. A full ticket, so, so there you go. The winning ticket is, starts at 391, finishes at 395. And if somebody I know, we're going to put it back in the pot. (laughs) 391, who is it? 391 to 395. Well done. Oh, Karen, well done. Oh, no, don't give it to Owen. Uh, There you go, no, I don't need the tickets. There you go, you can sort it out. Thanks, well done. And uh, for those of you that are very disappointed, yeah, you can have a hat. All all through Ross Thompson. So if you're not running, give it to the guy next to you. These are running hats, I believe. There you go. There's a running hat and whatever. And that's on. Right, ah. where were we? So we were doing, a, we're up to the 5K or something. We're, we're nice and warmed up now for getting into the, the, real, the real stuff here. Although we wait until uh, everybody's settled. Take your time, I'll have a drop. I hope you're all drinking non-alcoholic. Are you going for a run tomorrow morning? Um, Performance. So if you go on, on Emmet's website, he says, come and work with me. I'll make you faster. I'll make you do races. Something to that effect. It's a bit better worded than that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do to people when they come to you? How, tell us about your, your business and how, how do you work on
1: performance? How do you work on this um, performance? I'd probably slow people down, as someone described it. To me a couple of weeks ago, I get paid to tell people to slow down. Yes. <laughs> um, from, th- and, and I suppose where that comes from is, is, I would say, 90% of the people that I work with, um, as Rennie said, most people, when they come looking for a coach, they're pretty motivated. Anyways, they're, they're, they're training regularly, and they're looking to improve. Um, and I'd say 90% of them are probably just training too fast. And again, this was something we were chatting about with the data with uh, Barry as well, is that something that often comes through in the data, is that, um, Ultimately, when, when an athlete comes to me, you're trying to quantify them, first of all, in terms of what, what type of animal are you dealing with. Are they fast twitch, slow twitch? Um, you need to take their lifestyle and stuff into account as well. And then once you've kind of got a handle on the physiology, I usually do a little bit of use heart rates and lactates and stuff like that as well. And then it's trying to f- to get a plan that will, I suppose, maximize the amount of sp- specific training that they can do inside the time frame and the lifestyle that they've got. Um, I mean, for the elite guys, that like I said, they they train multiple times a week, but for most of us, I suppose that are you know that are club runners and they're trying to maximise uh, the amount of time that we've got in between life and family and everything else. Um, you want to just make it as, as specific as possible and, and make it as uh, make the most use out of the couple of hours a week that you've got training. So how do you manage the the goals? Right. So I come to you and say
0: I heard your podcast in the Whale, well and I heard this this man can do a 318. I want to be that man. Now me. <laughs> I'm coming to you. You're laughing already. But <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you manage my expectation? Uh, we've got a Russian doctor that you can <laughs> deal with. <laughs> no, but seriously. So uh, how do you manage me coming in? You do all the physiology, the thing, you know. And I, I, run the fastest marathon I ever run was really good. It was 4:30. So from there to 3:18, is there any chance? No. So what are we going to do? <laughs> what are you going to tell me? <laughs> well.
1: When it comes to improvement, like, no matter <laughs> what level you're at, there are always athletes at a higher level. So it's, you're ultimately just trying to get faster yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think an awful lot of people come to the sport initially, and they say, right, I want to just run it just for a bit of you know, clear bit of head space um, just to get out of the house. And then very quickly, that turns into, wouldn't mind getting a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and people will tell you, I'm not interested in times, but I've yet to see somebody disappointed when they run a PB. <laughs> <laughs> you know. We all like to be competitive with ourselves. So ultimately, it's not about necessarily from you going from 4:30 to to 3:18. It's about you going from 4:30 to 4:20 to 4:10 and maybe breaking four hours and just making small little goals, small little bits of progress each year, um, and 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 building those, you know, stacking year on top of year. And you don't know where ultimately where you're going to get. Like with any of the athletes that I work with, it's like there's never really, you know, where do I want to get eventually. It's like, well, wh- where do you want to get this year? And then we'll build on that again in 12 months time. And you'll be really surprised how far you can get with that type of approach. And if you're, you know, if you're training and, and, and your, your structure is good, you can get an awful lot further than you ever think that you were capable of. And last question on speed, because this drives me mad. As I say, i always
0: at the back of the, the group, right? I know yeah. exactly what size shoes they have. You know, I know everything, <laughs> because I am always at the back. And there's these little people that run with me. And they have very small legs and very short legs and very short strides. (laughs) And they're so much faster than me. How does that work? (laughs) (laughs) And I I can point them out in the crowd. But it, it doesn't make any sense. Physiologically, it doesn't make sense. I'm six foot three. I can do a, a meter stride. And they can do a 30 yeah. centimeters They've stride. all been <laughs> in Kilkool for about 10 years. No, so no, they're, they're, <laughs> not, they're not your guys. These are, these are just newbie to it. But how does that work physiologically? That, that's that work? The shorter guy can run faster than them.
1: Yeah, well they've got less body mass to, to carry around. And I suppose a lot of the research that has been done on, say, the Kenyan athletes over the years is one of the reasons that they've been proven to be generally quite quick is that their, their makeup on that lower limb, they've got a smaller calf. They've got a, a, a smaller amount of weight that they need to ca- carry through a, a larger circumference. Um, and that, those little physiological characteristics. Yeah, everyone um,
2: looks down at their calves. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: um, so yeah, I mean, and generally speaking, for most marathon runners, a smaller, slighter person is going to handle the marathon better than somebody with a bigger frame. OK, Ken, we're all right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great. Um, performance, so, so let's stay with the performance for a second, um, and the, how do you do, you de- you, so Emmett, I mean, you do mostly road, am I correct, mostly as road or, sorry, road? I, road.
1: I do everything, so it's road, cross-country, track okay. and trail, yeah, so, okay. but mainly sort of road and track.
0: Yeah, well, you tend to, to specialize in trail, am I correct, Rene, mostly? That's when it's moved. Okay.
3: Yeah, I used to do mostly everything as well uh, because obviously they all complement each other you know and if you mm. do want to get into one of the disciplines i always tell people to try and branch out because mm. they all have value you know if you're a trail runner and you love trail you can learn a lot from road and mm. track if you're a road runner or a track runner you can learn a lot from cross country and hill running um, but over the years we just um, i work with another coach and he's very focused on road so the way things just have developed because i'm very passionate about trail in mm. particular I take mainly trail runners these days
0: and how how easy is to transition so if somebody like Barry's been doing hundreds of marathons eh, on the road but well, a few anyway <laughs> and he wants to go trail running how easy it is to do to do that physically it's not as big a transition as people think
3: uh, but logistically it can be because you need to first figure out the trails you know where are they where are the trailheads? where can you go without feeling you might get lost mm. you know and you suddenly a 30 minutes. Stint turns into two hours in the bush. <laughs> <laughs> that has, uh, that's a bit better now because the number of Waymark trails in Wicklow has probably doubled, I'd say, in the last <laughs> 10 years or so. But basically, the trail is more forgiving on the body. But you, if, if you've been away from the wild, so to speak, because we're all a bit domesticated today, mm-hmm. then you have to kind of readapt. And first of all, you need to know that a lot of the road running shoes won't cut it because a lot of the road running shoes are too high, they're too unstable, they're too soft. Uh, So they won't give you the type of stability you need when the surface is not exactly the same on every footstep. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, on the trails, there be hills. And hills, if you tackle hills the way you tackle flat, Mm -hmm. you can burn yourself out pretty quickly Mm. because you need to be much better at pacing yourself on trail because you can't rely just on the watch, for instance. You actually really need to read What is my body telling me about the intensity here, Mm. and learn to adjust. And that can often, it will often, if you're a beginner, mean you have to power walk or just walk a lot of the uphills, especially the steep ones,
0: which a lot of runners hate doing.
3: Yeah, because we see it as a sign of defeat, right? Right. Once you walk, you're defeated. That's it. But then you go look at. Let's take an example. The very, very big trail, the biggest trail race in the world is UTMB. So it's in France. It's in Chamonix. 170 mm. kilometres, 10,000 metres vertical. Even the elites walk about 50 to 60% of that, mm. because when there is that much climb over that much time, it's less. It's more efficient to walk uphill at the same pace. Mm. That doesn't mean it's the right strategy if you go out mm. and you run a little hill race that's six kilometres. Mm. You know, it's it's different. That's something you learn as you kind of mm. go along. But you need to embrace the fact that on a hill. You're just, it's about moving fast up the hill and not worry about how. Okay. You know, this is the, road. if you have to crawl up, and you will, if you go up steep enough hills, then you'll crawl up.
0: We'll get to the crawl in a minute with Orla. <laughs> but uh, and Barry, how does that sound, moving from road to, to, to trail?
4: I'm, I'm certainly one of those people that would get lost. <laughs> and, and have to I, I, I remember doing a, a somewhat of a trail run recently. It was supposed to be my, my final long run before the marathon, and it was, t- it was supposed to be about 25K. It turned out to be about 35K. <laughs> so I'm a bit of a disaster mm. in that one. But I, I, d- I love the little bit of trail running that I do. I really enjoy. Um, and, and like you were saying, the, there's so many added benefits. You're, you're testing diff- different muscles in different ways, and I think it adds a lot to your, your road running then. So.
0: But you told me before that the way you, you did the marathon, you literally look at the data, and you follow the data. Oh, or did I misunderstand? Yeah. Tell us about that, because then well, if you <coughs> go into the, into the trail, where you don't, you don't have data to follow.
4: Oh, ah, yeah, so, that's, so, so yeah. on race day then. Right, right OK. So here's the, <laughs> th- this doesn't work out so well for the fellas, let me just say. From right. So when you look at pacing, um, men tend to pace their marathon very poorly compared to female runners. were far less disciplined. So one of the things that you, you see very clearly in the data is that if you want to do a fast marathon, you better run slow at the start. So those first 5K are really critical in terms of your overall finish time. And usually what happens is, in the excitement of the start line, everyone sort of rushes off. Lots of people are in the long, wrong wave to begin with. They're in the, the fast wave and they're rushing off um, and by the time in Dublin, by the time you get to Phoenix Park, you can see people doubled over, <laughs> having a bad day. Um, <laughs> so that that's very common in the marathon. So the first thing uh, that that you learn is really it's important not to not to start too fast. Um, and the other thing you you realise is that the famous hitting the wall I- in the marathon mm. b- about it, it it varies on the d- depending on how you measure it, but. The, the studies that, oftentimes when you look at some of the studies that have been done on hitting the wall, um, they go up to people after the race, and they ask them to fill out a questionnaire. And the first question on the <laughs> questionnaire is, did you hit the wall? And a lot <laughs> of marathon runners think that that's a rite of passage. Mm. And they all put, tick, yes. So you've got all these studies which are saying that like 60, 70% of people are hitting the wall in the marathon. They're not, right? If you hit the wall, you'll know about it. Um, so... The, the about. Uh, 25 percent of people hit the wall in the marathon about five times as many men hit the wall than women when you look at the pacing change that occurs around 30 kilometers and mostly it's because men start too fast and they don't slow they just keep going Uh, and then they sort of blow up at around the 30 km
0: so let me get this straight right (laughs) you sat down there you're doing all the training you're 10 20 32 then you sat down you studied the data yeah and you went I'm gonna do it this time because so I won't hit the wall. So, yeah. I wa-
4: wow. Yeah. So I said, "Try well." <laughs> people who, who didn't hit the wall and who looked like they got a PB, because you've got millions of runners, you can track them over multiple races. <laughs> See, there's a person roughly my age, roughly my <laughs> speed. They got a PB. What was their pace profile in Dublin? I'm doing that.
0: Wow. So you just, and I'm gonna run at this pace for the first 5K and so on and so yeah. forth. Yeah, amazing, and, and then that the was minute
4: you start the race, that plan goes out the window. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know you leave the best man speech in your jacket yeah. pocket. You're there at the start, like, going, oh my
0: god! <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I was going to, th- when you mentioned crawling, uh, because I do want to talk about it for a second, not because you were crawling, I don't know if you were crawling, but. it's oh, uh, more swimming. Uh, no, that, that art thing, which is, is, is d- tell us about it, is insane, right? There's no other way to describe it. Yeah, I know yeah, there's yeah, a historical yeah. thing to go, but forget about the historical thing. It's an insane race. Tell us about
2: it. It is an insane race. Um, and I'm just laughing because um, because I actually just can't believe it. I did it, and you're talking about me swimming in the, in the, in the river. But basically, it is a 65K nighttime challenge. You start in Dublin Castle um, in the middle of the night, obviously, in the middle of nowhere, it's called. What is it? In the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of winter, that's it. So you start in January, it's freezing. Um, and actually, the recce's um, were really, really tough because it was during that cold spell just before, um, just before Christmas. Remember when it was really cold, mm-hmm. it was snowing? So we had to get ourselves up to... Um, Arts Cross, which is, you know, right up in the middle of the Wicklow Mountains. And it's, it's very barren. It's not it's not ac- it's not not very accessible. Um, and, you know, usually you're doing car drops um, because it's 65K, so you're not going to run out of 65K and run 65K back. So you're literally going in pairs. You drop your car to the end, and then you try and drop one car to the other side, and you, you run a bit, and then you, you get into the car to the other side. Um, so the, the race was based on some people escaping, Art O'Neill, escaping from... Uh, Dublin Castle, a long time ago, and he basically sadly died, you know, en route in the middle of the winters. So that's what it's based on. Um, Which is yeah. a bit of a clue, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you not read that bit? No. Okay.
2: That's why I'm kind of laughing. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, there's loads and loads of applicants every year. That's the crazy thing. And actually, very, f- you know, I, I think 200 people manage. There's, there's different sections of it, but the ultra part, like, Only 200 people did it, and I think actually there were 80 DNFs did not finish. Um, So it's tough. It is tough, Um, but it's amazing. And the sense of achievement when you've done it is absolutely incredible, Um, and the training is phenomenal. So, like, I did Dublin Marathon in October. Like that you were talking about the transition. Um, I'm really interested in that because I go through fits and... stages of road running and then I'll trail run definitely my heart is in the hills but I love to run a bit fast sometimes so you know I, I did, did the double marathon and then I got a place in Neal and I was like oh fuck like, I have to actually learn the hills again like how am I going to do this and then we were going to the UK and I was like it's so flat in London how am I going to run in London anyway so somehow we managed to get lots of recce's done myself and Anna she's not here today she's actually over in Snowden planning uh, an All ultra right. over there um, and um we yeah, we did, we wrecked the hell out of it and we took off at eleven o'clock on and so did Sheila. Sheila's here somewhere as well, Sheila and the Ross and so yeah. there's a
0: few and Kevin, there's a few of them that didn't Yeah, yeah it yeah. is a
2: phenomenal race. I yeah. mean it's thirty K on the road, you start on the road and then it gets more and more hillier as you get up into the mountains and then you change your gear at the at the checkpoint um at about thirty K is it thirty K or twenty five K? I can't remember now. And then you get into your like you're talking about the, the, the gear and you get into your trail runners and you change your your clothes or whatever and it was really, really rainy that day with all the f- snow had defrosted and the rivers were really, really high. Um
0: <laughs> Yeah, no I'm, I'm, I'm smiling because am talk be
2: about it, aren't you? No, uh, yeah,
0: no, it was actually <laughs> Kevin Marshall that said to me, Will you please ask Orla, why did she fall in the river? <laughs> I don't but think there was. A re- I don't think you did in purpose. So
2: you know, it's it is it's it's self-nav. That's <laughs> the other thing. So we've done a few self-nav like nav courses. So people who aren't into running and stuff. So basically, you know, you have to use the compass and the and the maps to try and find your way. And you, you can have it on your watch, and, and we did have it on our watch. But you're trying your best to, to follow a route that you've planned, that you've wreckied. So we did do that. So I was so terrified. If I go up the river or down the river, I'm going to lose my way. I mean, you have to understand that it's pitch black. Um, some of the recce's were whiteouts. I mean, you couldn't see in front of your face. W- your face is frozen. You're soaking wet. And, you know, things distract you very easily. Some of the landmarks, I know there's a there's a wall there. We turn left at the wall, and then you see the big tree. But you can't see anything sometimes. And it's 3 o'clock in the morning. You're like, geez, soaking wet. Um, so anyway, we were... <laughs> We were, we were crossing the river at this point. We got to the river, and I'm not kidding. It was like it was like Paris Court Waterfall. We were like, How the "Fuck, are we going to get over this river?" And then the river, the, the stones are all slimy, and, sli- and we were like, "We've just got to get across the river, and we? we've just got to go because we haven't got time to mess about." it. Anyway, lo and behold, Anna is like a gazelle. She's got long legs. She, goes, oh yeah, over the way, we- over she went. She's on the other side. She goes, "Come on, come on!" And I went over, and i was straight into the river, like literally <laughs> hanging like by a thread. And she's pulling my leg. It was like a scene out of I don't know what. And um, <laughs> got to the other side, but I was soaked from here down. And then you have the serious consideration of like, you know, I know I'm doing a race, I know I'm doing a run, but actually am I going to put my life at risk? Am I going to put other people's lives Mm -hmm. at risk? This is serious. You're going up and out to altitude. We're going up to Arts Cross at that stage. We still had about, I don't know, 42K in that was. So we still had like 25K to go. It was three o'clock and I don't know what time it was in the morning, you know. So anyway, we stripped off on the side. (laughs) We said, we're just going to do it. Stripped off on the side of of the river. And thankfully, I had this fleece in my bag. And I didn't even want to bring it, because I was like, just try and keep it really light. And um, thank God I had it. We rang out the clothes, put the fleece on, put the clothes back over, and off we went. And we just kept running. And that was it. Yeah.
0: Fantastic.
2: It was very heavy.
0: And uh, we, uh, we met you. You were, you were still uh, smiling and laughing. Still so alive, that was yeah. good. Still alive. That was fantastic. Uh, but, Barry, is it good to do this long-distance running? Like, uh, how good is the marathon? It can be good. Not bad. <laughs> no, but f- it can be good. Like, you know, you're looking at the data. But can, it can be good to be running too much, can it?
4: Ah, I don't know. What's not to love about running a long distance? Yeah, but, I mean,
0: when you, dis- when you, s- when you need to stop? At you know, some point, we need to stop. When, when is the time to stop? There'll be
4: time to stop when you're dead.
0: <laughs> so there's nothing on the garment that tells you you've run too much. No, I don't think so. No, you're, no, you're not looking at it properly. <laughs> <laughs> you're just looking. You have a, you have a biased yeah, view right. of it.
4: Well, I'm not, you, know, you know that funny moment when you you've come back from your run and it tells you how many hours you should be resting for, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and when yeah. it ticks up into triple digits, <laughs> and you've <it's laughs> never seen that on your watch before. No, I don't know. When you, d- d- the great thing about marathons, as as a new marathon runner, I was always amazed at the range of people that you see at the start line and the finish line. Yeah. You, know, you, you kind of expect that it's the best of the best are doing this ultimate test of fitness, but it's everyone from all walks of life, all shapes and sizes. Um, and, and I think that's just incredible. So I th- you certainly there's no evidence from the people you see out having a great day that age has much to do with their decision to be running or not. Yeah.
0: Emma, did you ever have to turn away somebody to say, he's not around, there's no chance? I've turned people away, but not for that particular reason. (laughs) So is Um, everybody running? Genuinely, can everybody
1: everybody run? everybody's capable of doing it. Um, I've seen plenty of people. Actually, my sister-in-law texted me last weekend looking for a couch to 5K (laughs) program. Mm. Very good. She has done nothing but slate running for the last 20 years. (laughs) Um, No, it's open to everybody. It's just a case of, like I said earlier, getting a group and and getting stuck in. Um, No matter how fast or slow you are, it's about improving yourself and, yeah, there's no uh, barrier to entry.
0: Uh, and I, I should say... other uh, than the uh, carbon shoes, probably. Yeah, we get to the carbon <laughs> shoes now. <laughs> uh, and I should say, and I won't name them because I don't know their names anyway, but I met two people outside and they're starting their own running group after listening to you in the first half. You, yeah, you all. Over. So there you go. That's great. Yeah, so something, well something's happening. <laughs> uh, now, I'm going to make sure I get their names and I'll chase them for the next <laughs> yeah, two weeks yeah. to make sure that they will do it.
2: We want the data.
0: They'll be walking down the pier with you next Tuesday. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for coming. The show is over. <laughs> Kill Cool Athletic is full, so don't bother calling them. <laughs> so uh, that's really interesting. So tell me something. We talked about um, the one thing is really important. We just gave away a beautiful pair of shoes. Um, what's the story with shoes? You know, you barefoot. You, you know, c- you were talking about carbon shoes. I never heard of. The d- don't even know what that is. What is a carbon shoes? What? What? Wha- how much of the difference does the the footwear make to any of us? Well, it depends, is ah. the answer. Uh, yeah, uh, but let's start with those carbon shoes because
3: that's uh, for those who don't know. It's it's the latest kind of the latest thing, right? As I've learned since I came to Ireland. But they say that these shoes, which have a carbon sole, can make you four to seven percent faster. Uh, what's interesting in the data is that if you actually look at the results, it ranges from people actually getting worse <laughs> <laughs> to people getting faster than 7%. Mm. Uh, so that tells us something else. It tells us it's not just about what you wear on your feet. It's also how you interact with the ground, how you move. So clearly there's ways you can move. You, you can be so deficient, basically, in the way you move that you can't take advantage of this technology. Mm-hmm. There's some problems with all this technology as well. We discussed a little bit in the break. At this goes back to something I was involved with uh, about a decade ago. And um, I still have strong opinions on it, but I've ri- revised a lot of them as well over the years, because you noticed I, I'm wearing these kind of clown shoes here today, <laughs> um, which is a Vivo barefoot shoe. And my boys, who are the oldest is seven and the youngest is five, that's all they run in. These shoes, are, they're as wide as the foot is, so they're not basically squashing the front. And they're also totally flat, and there's only three millimeters of rubber. So it's the opposite of the carbon philosophy. But before we had carbon, we had all these many different types of rubbers. You know, from the l- at one stage Nike advertised Luna shoes, where the rubber apparently was from the moonlander. You right. know, yeah. true or not, these shoes have been very popular. They do seem to make you faster, certainly at the elite end, but also at the club competitive level, because <laughs> nearly everyone is wearing them these days. But there is a cost. The cost is basically if you grow up in the wild or in Kenya, you'll spend a lot of time barefoot. So what do you get out of that? Well you get a better feel for the ground, you get a more natural relationship to the ground, you get stronger feet, more well formed feet, not squashed, no bunions, none of all that, stronger lower legs and a better, it's called proprioception, that's things like balance, stability, (laughs) elasticity in the lower legs. So there's a lot you can gain from that and that's why I'm keeping my boys in them while they're young when they want to perform, if they ever want to perform, and I doubt that at this stage, because they'll be listening to 20 years of of running nerdery, and they'll say, look, the last thing we're going to do is go in that fella's footsteps. (laughs) But if they decide to pick it up when they're 30 or 40, I'm hoping their feet will be better than mine, because I suffered in the first 10 years of running 33 serious injuries, which is part of what brought me into coaching. You know, many coaches are frustrated athletes. Not that I was really an athlete by, in terms of performance. But you were frustrated. But in terms of intention. <laughs> right? I was frustrated. I had all these injuries and I thought when well, I was out on the sidelines, I have all this knowledge in my head, so what are we going to do with it? And one of the fixes is, if only the biomechanics had been better, if I hadn't been put in ASICs at the age of whatever, six or seven, I would probably have moved better. But that's not the only thing. Like There are many other mistakes you can make. You know, too much too soon mm. is very, very common. You know, greed. We all want to run faster mm. tomorrow. You know, we look at a great schedule from someone who inspires us. This was my mistake. I looked at, oh, they're all running over 100 kilometers a week. They're all running seven days a week. If I do that, I'll be good. And I actually did improve very fast, but it didn't last for very long. So this is, I thought, this is a lesson that needs to be passed on mm. to other people because running really in this, you know, with this sh- whether it's with shoes and training techniques, it's about people pursuing dreams. Yeah. And it's quite crushing when it doesn't turn out the way you want. <laughs> so, so really, you know, any advice, including the shoe advice, is about trying to make sure people don't have that experience. Yeah. Um, and maybe I think I'll leave it maybe to you, Emmett, because you see the shoe side from the elite
1: angle. Yeah. I, I was just, <coughs> as you were talking there, I was trying to think, well, how could you actually Get this aqua- across in a metric, and probably the, the most impressive statistic when it comes to since the introduction of the shoes, the women's qualifying time for the marathon has gone from two thirty eight to two twenty eight, so it's ten minutes, and the men's time has gone from that w- was the it was around two fifteen, and this year it's two o nine thirty, so you're talking two miles of a difference. So the, the, the guys who would have qualified for the Olympics in twenty twelve would be two miles further down the road away from the qualifying time now. So like, and then just another example, we were chatting, I was in Boston last Saturday night at a track meet and the sub four minute mile was one of the, you know, for for most track runners is like, this is the be all and end all. I watched 52 people break the four minute mile last last Saturday night. And it's mainly down to the shoes because of the carbon plate. So it's having a massive impact. Um, World Athletics have really dropped the ball on this because they probably should have they've let the i suppose two toothpaste out of the tube before they were able to get a handle on all this the, the shoe technology got ahead of them um they've put some rules in place around it now and that it can't get any further down the road but um it's it's, it's impacted all events from basically from 400 meters up um and it's probably trying to impact on some of the shorter distances of events although a lot of people would say that they don't want to see usain bolt's records being broken and that they've really clamped down on, on, the, on the shoe technology for the shorter distances. But it's had a huge impact. <coughs> and just in terms of who benefits from the shoes, I've noticed from all the athletes that I'm coaching and, and, and interact with, I think people who have poor running economy tend to, be, to benefit most. So if, you're, if your running technique is relatively poor, you tend to get more of a return off the shoes. But as René pointed out, there are responders and non-responders. And this is where the technology starts to become a factor. Know, it's not just about your fitness. It's a case of, am I a responder to the shoe, or am I a non-responder to the shoe? So it's putting another unknown in there that's kind of taken away from the natural abilities of the athlete. Um, excuse my ignorance. I've
0: never heard of these carbon shoes. Is that the same with Kipchoge you wore for? Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, we I was in Berlin. We were in Berlin uh, for mm-hmm. a marathon. I wasn't running. A friend of ours was doing a hand bike. Uh, but we saw Kipchoge. I think he broke the record at that time, and he yeah. came it. And then the second and third guy came in. And it felt like he was just the slowest man you ever seen, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and he came at two or two or something. But it, it's 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 incredible. So that, that's what's
1: happening then. So it, it yeah, if you watched the f- when I mean they set up a specific and very artificial um, sub two hour marathon attempt for Kipchoge in, saw in that, Austria. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, that doesn't stand because there was a couple of um, I suppose like I said artificial conditions that they'd set up around it. But that was the first time that he used the Alpha Fly shoes, which have like a massive bounce. As one of the lads said, they'll throw the, they'll throw you out the door to go training. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <something>. <laughs> but if anybody watched end of that race so he's belting down he's got six pacemakers in front of him the pacemakers to pull to one side to allow him to finish the race and he could barely stop when he went through the finish line he nearly knocked <laughs> his wife over if, if you watch the footage she was coming over with her arms over and he almost plowed her down <laughs> <laughs> so if you can get up to two hour marathon pace on it you'll have no problem keeping it going <laughs> <laughs> the shoes will do the rest for you
0: well, fascinating any anything from your side barry what do you know about all of this? And yeah. I'm not going to ask you about data.
1: Well,
4: I wore a pair at Dublin's. So <laughs> oh, there you go. And yeah, what they w- they seem to work. You know, they feel they feel great. They're, there's a big for people who don't know. There's a spring in the yeah. sole of the shoe, and the spring is is made from carbon, so it's a carbon plate. So you push down on the ground as you land, and it launches you forward and pitches you forward. So um, they're very effective. But the the surprising thing is. How many of the same <laughs> shoes? And it's usually yeah. Nike, Vaporfly or Alpha Fly. <laughs> you see all these bright pink shoes that l- that people are wearing at the start line. We, we were upstairs I ask, and, I them, and I them, we were
0: upstairs and and you were and I was saying about the carbon and both of them said I I bought my pair before the ma- the Dublin marathon. Well, obviously, <laughs> you <laughs> want to <laughs> ask a question. <laughs> Sorry.
2: No, I'm wondering because I've heard. Do they have a? um Do they have a shelf life? I mean, how many marathons can you get out of them? So uh,
4: they say that certainly the first generation had quite a short shelf life, 150 kilometers, maybe 200. The current generation, I think, is 250 to maybe three. So you'd get, and the question is whether you train in them or just race in them. I didn't do much training in them. So you might get a couple of marathons and a few long runs.
0: So MS was right, the Harley-Davidson would have been cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 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 Ten exactly. years of running would have been a lot cheaper.
1: <laughs> well we, d- we get all of our elite guys to buy a fresh pair before a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> <Do laughs> Genuinely, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, yeah because yeah. they'd yeah. use the first pair for training, and then another 250, 250 quid for the pair. 250. Yeah. Yeah. 250, yeah. 250. Yeah. all
0: right. Right, so <laughs> uh, another question. Uh, I was asking a couple of people here tonight, and I said, uh, do you run? And the question was, I used to. The answer was, I used to. Do you get much of that, I used to? And how do you deal with that? Do you want me to answer that? Anybody, anybody ask the answer. Yeah, well, there's
3: a a saying in the running community that half of all the cyclists are heartbroken runners.
5: (laughs) 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 Yeah, but uh,
0: genuinely, how do you deal with somebody that, you know, as I didn't, well, I don't know. Obviously, a serious injury is a serious injury, but you know what I'm mostly here uh, uh my knees, you know, my knees and my back, and, and I'm not saying you know that, that's the general thing. How do you deal with that you know, do you, if somebody wants to go back into it?
3: Well, ideally, really, you need to look at your body and the habits surrounding your body, hmm. because what's if you train too much too soon, all those obvious mistakes, hmm. or you never recover, you just train hard, you never train easy. All sorts of injuries will pop up, including knee injuries. Mm. Right? So th- that's fairly easy if you can just yeah. f- that's the first thing we do as coaches, because we do online work, means I can't always see people right at first. I used to do workshops in injury clinics with a partner of mine who has now taken over that business, so he still does that hands-on work in the clinic. And what we used to do then is we used to film people, mm. both running and in other movements, to actually see what has happened to this person through the course of their life as a result of all the habits they've had, all the previous injuries, sometimes traumas as well. It can get fairly deep. But Mm. to keep it fairly simple, the main problem today is that you go into running with really athletic aspirations, Mm. but your life is the opposite of athletic.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting.
3: You could spend eight, ten hours sitting in a chair. That means you're sitting in a hip-locked position, and running is all about having a big range of motion in the hip You're also not on your feet whereas a lot of you know just go one or two generations back how many of our say grandfathers would have spent the entire day walking Mm. carrying lifting Mm. Mm. you know the farmers still do you know we Mm. see some of them out in the hills you know they don't do much strength work and stretching because their work is that so first of all is right i obviously work mainly with professionals Mm. that's just because most of us are professionals today Mm. so we have to try and figure out well what is the movement problem of this person, and either I refer them to someone I trust that is in their locality, that they so we can actually sit down and have a good physical look, at, or even touch them if they give consent. <laughs> <laughs> See where the you know the, the tight spots are. <laughs> <So> <laughs>
2: you just keep digging there.
3: So, <laughs> if that's not possible, it's not always possible, and some people are comfortable with it. There are. Very detailed online courses we can also refer people to. Uh, and, and it's basically a ju- just a journey of self-discovery. Like, figure out again, is your posture terrible? Yeah. And if it's terrible, why is it terrible? Start by fixing that. Get mobility where you right. need to be mobile and get stability and strength where you need to be strong. And if you do those things with just a little bit of consistency, maybe take out a few habits that you have. Sit a bit less. I have a standing desk, for instance. Mm-hmm. I, one of those you can move mm-hmm. up and down little things like that can make a big difference you know over a running career
0: thank you uh Ol- you mentioned earlier on that when you joined the running club um, you got a plan you followed the plan uh, how easy is it to follow a plan because I, I i i think i printed a few and, and i wrote at the back of it and something I took some notes <laughs> and then i never used them but how easy <laughs> is it to follow a plan
2: when we did um myself and Eva, when we did our first um on I don't think we were following a plan at that stage. I think we just cobbled something together from, sorry, Aoife cobbled together and I just kind of went along with mm-hmm. whatever, like, um, from the internet. And then, you know, we did okay. We, we we did our marathons and we were delighted with our times. But I think when both uh, both of us actually, when we then came to the 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 club and then mm-hmm. you, Emma, did a marathon plan for the whole club, um, you know, you just basically decide on a time that you think you might be in the range of and you just follow that, that plan, I mean it can be easy, it can be difficult, thankfully in, in the club, like you, we keep talking about the accountability because there were so many other people doing it you know, say on a Wednesday night, we're all doing such and such Wednesday's plan, you know, we're all going to do LT, this, blah, blah, whatever it is. I still don't understand. You didn't read thing. much I don't either. understand the lingo. <laughs> I just run after them. After Emmett's um,
0: hard work, <laughs> you haven't read any of it.
2: <laughs> LT812, <laughs> and I'm like, is that fast or slow? <laughs> um, so, you know, so much of it is about accountability, but definitely, um, it definitely, definitely helped, and it definitely improved my time. So um,
0: I ha- right. I, Have you been getting many injuries since you started?
2: a bit of wood there now, anywhere. Um, touch touch, touch, touch uh, uh, Renna's um, <laughs> No, We, co- we consent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we consent. Is it a bit tight, anywhere? Um, no. <laughs> um, have I got many injuries? No, I have actually been quite lucky, okay. I have to say. Thank God, particularly for an owl one now, oh, Jesus. Um, but um, And like that, you know all this talk about, oh, my knees, and I'm a bit old, and I'm this and I'm that. I mean, I'm in my late 40s. I have four children. If I can do it, anybody can do it. You know, it's like you just have to find the time and and allow yourself that time, and you deserve that time, and you know, find the time and give it to yourself because you become such, I don't know, a happier person for it, and so much, I think, a better person for it. You know, but like I said before, you know, it's just so applicable to every other area of your life. You know what you gain from it, um, for sure. Yeah.
0: Great, Barry. Thank you. (coughs) Barry wants to say something about that. Go on, Barry. Tell us. What's your view on what
4: well, well on, on injuries I've got a healthy dose of injuries uh, in yeah if you have <laughs> few no but i I think one of the, the the best predictor of whether you're going to become injured is whether you have been injured in the past, so okay. don't get injured okay, and then the question is how do you stop getting injured i i think the the good advice is run slowly and don't try and do too much too soon there's this classic ten percent rule and which says if you're Doing, if you're increasing your volume by more than 10% a week, you're in a danger zone. And certainly all the data seems to bear that out. That and when
0: you mean volume, you, m- so you mean mild, miles.
4: Yeah, so you, know, you might start, <coughs> you might be begin with a, a 5k and you you're gradually go up to a 10k and maybe you're running 20k a week. Um, you, you shouldn't be adding more than about 10% week by week. And, and that doesn't mean you add 10% every week. <coughs> excuse me for years, you know, because obviously that doesn't work either. Mm. But um, just,
2: Three fifty. Yeah,
4: you know, be kind to yourself on, on, on that front. Mm.
0: And I, my brothers in Italy sent me a message this morning and, and said, uh, he said something, he said, if you feel sad, go out for a run. You'll soon realize that uh, mental health is much, b- your mental health is much better than your physical health. <laughs> 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 Uh, and <laughs> I thought that makes sense. Um, but I mean, OK, we all do it for different reasons. Um, but is it really that good for your mental health, Emmet? No, your own. I'm sure you're a very happy chap. But uh, <laughs> uh, how good
1: is it? How do we know that it's that good? Well, I don't think anybody's ever regretted going for a run. Right. And I think that tells you a lot. No, you know, there's an awful lot of days you don't really feel like putting the runners on and getting out there. But hmm. once you get out there, get through it you feel so much better afterwards. Nice. And you know obviously, there's the philic- physical benefits to it, but definitely the mental health benefits, You know, given the lifestyles that we live these days. It's, it's high pressure uh, for a lot of people with kids and families and, and work and everything else. And it's a great stress reliever. You know, and if you can get it done early in the day, I find is the best time, because if you get it boxed off in the morning time, it sets you up for the day, because it's very hard to get, get out the door in the evening when all of the everything else is going on, I find. But that brings me back to the, the, the
0: running plans, because sometimes all of these wonderful things we do for ourselves for well-being become a stressful thing to do, right? We have a running plan. Oh, Jesus, Emma, get me a running plan. I need to get out for a run. How do we balance that? How do you, do you, what do you tell I know, forget about the elite guys. They're great. They have a carbon <laughs> shoes. What about the rest of us? <laughs> what about the rest of us? You know, The ones that want to get on for a run tomorrow morning without feeling guilty. What do you tell them? Really, because you give them a plan. You say, look, that's your plan for the week. But How do you make sure that they do it?
1: (coughs) most people who are involved in the sport are pretty self-motivated. You know, when you you get through that initial stage of of running your first 5K or running your first 10K, um, that's a goal in itself. The biggest thing you need to do from that point on is keep putting additional goals in front of yourself. Um, And very often, you chat to an athlete and say, oh, I've kind of lost the mojo a little bit. Enter a race. It's the, and very quickly focuses the mind out of the fear of embarrassment as much as anything else, <laughs> because you want to make sure you run fast. And, and that tends to be a great way of, of refocusing people. If they feel they've lost their way a little bit, um, enter a race, and, and it's, it, it gets things back on track pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, in fairness, uh, the, the, the group, we're, we're not an athletic club, but we're a group, and we run, and, and we, do, we do tend to have a, a race every April, because you have to run through the winter, which is horrible. And that's just having something to look forward in April. It's always a great way to go abroad or do something. So it, I agree, it's, it's fantastic. But you talked about pasta. Let's talk about pasta. <laughs> uh, no, because that's another thing. You do these mile-long races, and you just eat forever. Like, you know, you just eat before, during, after. So that, that ratio of calories, I don't know if it really works, because you just eat so much. But what is the, the, the nutrition? What do we do? Again, for a normal, forget about the elite. Mm-hmm. Let's think, think normal people getting up in the morning going for eight hours work, and then trying to run. And what's the nutrition? Start with you, Emmett, and then.
1: Um, I think probably something that I've changed my mind on quite a bit over the last couple of years is when it comes to nutrition, I think most people are aware of what they shouldn't eat. We know what's good for us and what's bad for us, too. You know, for 90% for of things. Um, but I think where a lot of club runners and recreational runners probably fall down is fueling the actual training that they're doing in terms of fueling adequately beforehand fueling during the sessions themselves, particularly if they're, if they're quite long, and refueling afterwards. Um, and a lot of the time, and, and this has happened quite a few athletes at a coach, that they, they don't appreciate how much you actually need to eat and fuel around those long, particularly long runs and particularly when you come into, say, marathon or even if you're doing you know, long trail races, you need to fuel before, during, and after. And, and it's really important because um, you talk about coming home and feeling hungry for the rest of the day, If you're feeling really hungry for the rest of the day after a morning run, it's probably a sign that you didn't fuel correctly beforehand. Uh, And and a lot of the fueling during those sessions can be quite uh, sugar-based because you're getting quick energy into the body. It's not necessarily food for a healthy lifestyle, but it's it's food to fuel the performance and and, and to fuel the training. And I I think that's, if people were to to make changes when it comes to the nutrition and running, I think that's something that's probably underappreciated. Interesting.
0: Anyone else? Any uh, thoughts on the, f- on the food?
3: Well, very briefly, it the problem we often have when clients come in is that what he's saying is absolutely correct in terms of performance. But? Uh, well, the but is we have a, a lot of people today because there is a preponderance of quick available food sources mm. everywhere, right, mm. so that is which our biology is not really designed to deal with. You know, to having so much sweet sugar all around us, available at all times. So quite often when people come to us, they actually have borderline metabolic problems. Um, It would show up if you actually studied it very carefully. There's some early insulin resistance, leptin resistance. There there are ways we can figure this out. And one of the ways is it shows up um, when people are extremely slow at low heart rates. That is one way. Mm. And there are other symptoms in your lifestyle. You would recognize a lot of symptoms as pre-diabetic symptoms. Mm. So when you have a client like that, you need to look very carefully at how you combine the two things. Because if you throw a high-performance program at them that also requires um, that you use a lot of carbohydrates, you could basically be throwing petrol on the bonfire. Mm. So in those cases, often it's a case of you first need to repair the engine that you're dealing with and there's ways of doing that but you can't do that and train as a high-performance athlete at the same time so in those cases it's often about having a period where you explain to the person that this is what you think is going on you'd like to fix it so that this person has a a normal flexibility again a normal tolerance to carbohydrates all these things once you repair that during that period you'd mainly do easy running because if you do running low enough there's actually no depletion of sugar it's minimal Mm. You know, if, if you have a reasonably well-functioning athlete or if you get people down super slow, they're only burning fat and the only sugar that's being burned is what the brain needs because the brain fuels only mm. on sugar. And you'll need to do that until... And you might work with a doctor in some instances on something like this if it was serious enough. So it's the only caveat I'd throw in there. Okay. But you kind of recognize that if you're the type of person who simply cannot operate without a constant injection of meals, but your volume of training is not particularly heroic, that is a, that's the first sign of trouble. Mm. But if you don't have that problem, then you just need to be tactical. You know, make sure that you fuel right around the exercise. What some people, especially ultra runners, then do is they don't actually eat a lot of carbs at the other parts of the day. That's mainly protein and fat mm. then. Because what they want to do is they want to really fill everything in when they're exercising, before, during, after. But then they want to give that m- mechanism a rest mm. for the rest of the day. They might even do you know, things like intermittent fasting. Not all the time, but occasionally to let the body clean out and to, to tell the body, well, actually, you're okay 16 hours without a meal. Mm. You know, I, There's ways to go about that
0: without being mad and thinking about nothing but the fridge. Fair enough. Uh, why are you looking at me when you're saying that? <laughs> 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 Look at the audience, uh, uh, Barry. What do you What do you think of that? You know, as a as a normal person that runs uh, recreationally, uh, I, uh, this, what do you do?
4: Doing things quite poorly. I I routinely do long runs of 20k on an empty stomach without gels or anything, and then get back for <coughs> breakfast, which I think is probably very bad, is it?
1: It depends. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Yeah, I I used to think, I I remember reading somewhere that that's good to teach your body to metabolize fat more efficiently. So I thought, that sounds good, I'll have some of that. (laughs) But um, yeah, so I'm not great. And then I get the the other curious thing around marathons is what goes on in this taper period, which is the two to three weeks before race day. And you've you've been training really hard, and then you, you come off your training and you ease down because you need time to recover. And you get all panicky. People talk about these taper tantrums. (laughs) People get very irritable. And then a couple of days before the race, you're told you need to be carbo-loading. And I remember wandering around London last year, I was doing the London Marathon, thinking, where can I get another bowl of pasta? (laughs) I haven't had enough pasta today. (laughs) So so you start to, I don't know, um, sort of over-index on that a little bit.
0: Before I, I have a couple more questions, I'm going to give the microphone to the audience. But I, I want to start go back to the data because I know you have loads of data, right? And I just wonder what's the most fascinating thing you found out when you going through this, this gazillion Garmin, Strava
4: stuff. So a few big. I've covered some of them. You know, st- not starting too fast. Mm. That was always the conventional wisdom. Um, one surprise was not finishing too fast. When when you look at people who have a fast final couple of kilometers, um, they don't tend to achieve a PB. Mm. So they, there's a sense in which they've probably um, they've still got something in the tank, and they haven't been able to spend it all on race day. So doing those what are called negative splits can be very difficult to judge. Um, I have a friend of mine who's a very good runner. He's going to do 240 in Seville this weekend. And he's horrified any time I tell him I've done a <laughs> negative split because he assumes that's, he thinks that's really bad. And yet the conventional wisdom would often be that com- negative splits are a good thing to do. Now, Does
2: everyone know what a negative split is? I'm looking at my friends here going, what, so if if you're, split? This,
4: the second half of the marathon is faster than the first half, which sounds quite an alien thing to do. So um, the elites can manage that very well. So the idea is that you purposefully go slower in the first half and then you speed up in the second half but some people go so slow in the first half they they aren't able to use all their energy and you see this spike of speed in the last couple of kilometers and that doesn't they don't do too well and mm. um, the other big surprise that I that I found recently was how poor people are at tapering this two or three week period when they're supposed to be easing off and your plan says don't do too much this week and you think they can't be serious about that. <laughs> I'll just do a little bit extra. And that's re- that n- not, not being disciplined in your taper seems to have a, a very negative impact on your race day performance. <coughs> and, uh, and it's an easy one to fix, because you just don't have to do that extra run.
0: But that, but that goes back to what you were saying earlier on about the watch that tells you you know, now you're 48 hours, 68 hours, whatever it is, yeah. and you go, forget about it, I'm going to go anyway tomorrow morning. So yeah. I- is this yeah. accurate? Is this accurate when, the well, this, whatever, any watch, whatever you wear, is it accurate when uh, it tells you 48 hours? or?
4: I, th- I think reasonably so, you know, I mean, um, I, I, w- I wouldn't go get too enthusiastic about doing exactly what the watch tells you. But at a macro level, knowing that you should be, uh, starting to ease off in the final three or two or three weeks of your training and um, sticking to that and, and not sort of throwing in a half marathon a week before your, your <laughs> marathon and thinking, oh, that'll be that's, that's it in the bag now. Understanding that some of the reasons that you do fast running are to build and strengthen muscle, and that takes a number of weeks to have an effect. So doing a load of fast runs, long fast runs a week before your marathon, it's not going to do anything for you except tire you out. Um, but you see it in the data all the time,
1: Orla. Sorry, Emmet, anyway, you want I was to? i just saying I've seen a great tweet after Kipchoge broke the marathon world record last year. It was the Tuesday afterwards, and some th- the tweet was somewhere in the Rift Valley. Kipchoge's watch has beeped and told him that he's losing fitness. <laughs> 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 but, but Orla,
0: you were nodding and putting your hand up when you when they said about you know tapering. So where, oh where when when do we go from the love of the running? And really enjoying it, and the everything you told us—all oh, that's wonderful—to so become addictive.
2: Um, yeah, it's a fine line. <laughs> <laughs> My husband will fight for that. Thankfully, he's a runner as well, so he, he kind of understands it. But it is an addiction. But um, I think it's a healthy addiction, and I think that tapering time is really tough. Um, when you've been training so hard, and you're getting out six. Days a week, and then suddenly, you know, you're told not to do anything, and you have this fear that you're going to lose your fitness. You've, you, you know, you're feeling strong, and you've built up so much stamina and speed, and then you're suddenly just twiddling in your thumbs, and you're in the fridge, and you're just basically will I wear this and will I wear that and you know it all just goes out the window and I'm just and like you ch- and
4: you notice all these niggles yeah, your body sort I of exactly. wakes up and you're you're walking down the street and you feel this twinge what the
2: hell was done <laughs> <laughs> yeah 100% I absolutely I mean a lot of my friends will vouch for that how, how, are you, how are you all set now are you all set now for the big day the race is coming up yeah I'm grand now but the knees a little bit now and the ankles a bit everything you're so right it all starts to come in but um I think that taper time is really really hard. Yeah, definitely. But you
0: touched on something that it was a friend on here own. It was the wonderful man taking photographs. But he pointed out you, know, you touched on the fact that uh, um, your husband, your partner, is is a runner as well. And so I believe so is your wife. How about your your partners? Are they your husband, wife? Yeah, Are my
1: wife runs yeah. three or four times yeah. a week as well.
0: Yeah. So so we probably don't have the answer to this. What's the story with the with the the spouses that are left at home when we go out for a four-hour run. Yeah. What, what's, what's with that? How do we deal with that? <laughs> Emmett, uh, When you send those people off uh, for I, a four-hour... I'm a running b-
1: coach, not, not a family planning coach. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, like, come on, how do you deal with that? Because, you know,
0: you met your wife on the trail, but how many marriages have you broken? <laughs> <laughs> Because you've gone for four hours up in the mountains, you know, and there's the kids to be washed and whatever else the people do.
3: I, I don't have a figure for you. <laughs> <laughs> but I do hear it quite a bit. And um, I remember it was one of the first stories when I got really in love with running. And an older gentleman I used to carpool when he was in his 60s, he told me that it was a great source of marital friction still. And that whenever they were on holidays, he had to get up at 6 a.m. in the morning, get his run done. And by the time he was home, the daughter and the wife were still asleep. And that way, he could keep peace in the house and there was no resentment. (laughs) But it's a real phenomenon. It's it's a real problem for a lot, especially a lot of the chaps Mm -hmm. that I coach. Because there's this strange thing that when one person falls in love with something new and they start to change everything, suddenly they're not quite the person, the other person (laughs) married... And there can be this sense that, you know, it's nearly like infidelity. Because <laughs> he's off with his, his ru- new running lover, you know, the, the new hobby. <laughs> or he mightn't be as up for all the things they used to do. Or this is the great sin, the biggest sin, when there's a few kids involved. And the wife or the husband sometimes start thinking, well, shouldn't this person be home helping with the kids rather than out on the road? So, you know, <laughs> although we're, we're running coaches and not lifestyle coaches, I find it, it can sometimes be inseparable and I tend to take the approach that you have to work with what they got Mm -hmm. right yeah so you have to if they keep coming to me and telling me about all their woes we just adjust the training differently It may mean adjusting the goal but at the end of the day you know my favorite quote in athletics was from Percy Sarity who was a crazy man from Australia in the 1950s he wouldn't have thrived at all in the modern society but he said I'm not interested in athletics I'm interested in success." And what he meant is running was just a way to teach people to make the best of themselves. So running was just a learning tool. So really, if you want to be serious about it, we try and say, well, people need to be successful in all spheres of their life because if your marriage is on the rocks or your job's suffering because instead of looking at Excel spreadsheets with business intelligence data, you're looking at Excel spreadsheets with your weekly mileage. Then everything is going to fall apart anyway, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it all feeds into the other. So it's really just about giving people some hard love and say, look, you have other priorities too, my friend. You know, you have to try. I know this myself, of course, because we're, we're all like that. We all have things that we would l- prefer to do. So I think as a coach, you have to step in a little bit, but only when people open the door. You know, that's the important thing, I think, really, because you, you know when people are seeking personal advice as well. And then you tell them, look, I'm not qualified no. to give you th- this advice, but here it is.
0: So it sounds like I opened a can of worms, so we might just <laughs> move on. <laughs> <laughs> so two last questions for each, and then I will give the microphone. So th- the, we're in the RDS, so there's the GAA stall, there's the soccer stall, there's the... You know the rugby stall, and then you four are sitting at the the running stall. You're gonna sell this this gig to the kids coming in. Wh- what would you say to a kid, 14 year old coming in? It's going to play GA. Well, why should he run? What's, what, would he, what would you sell him? How would you sell running to a 14 year old or an 18 year old that, that's doing it on PlayStation? What would you say to them, Rene? Then I'll ask you each the same question. What's the what's the USP? I think it's called unique selling point.
3: I'm probably the worst person you could ask because as I say I'm not really a, a salesman. Um, I would sell it through its simplicity.
0: Simplicity. Yeah.
3: And it, it, um, you can use it for anything else. So if I have a young sporting lad, I'll tell him, look, the running will improve all the other sports that you really nice. like. Nice. You know, because th- it's supplementary. Uh, and later in life, you will thank me. That probably won't work because it didn't work for me. But I actually do thank my father now sometimes here for introducing me to the sport. Um, nice. but like by and large yeah, it's, it can be a hard sell because
2: it does lack a bit of the glitz and glamour.
0: Well, I like the simplicity that's a great answer, thank you Orla, you can use the same mode yeah, no, to give another one
2: I actually totally agree, and that's how we 're selling it to our son at the moment you know it 's really going to help your football and it 's going to help your rugby um he wants to get back into the Emirates, which is great but um my selling point would be that. It takes you to the most beautiful places in Ireland. You, you're going to see places that I didn't even know existed. I mean, sometime I mean, last week we were up at Loch, um, Loch Kelly, and you know, all down the back of Capure. I just, you know, I just feel so grateful to be up there. And it, it teaches me patience. It teaches me calm. It teaches me to be grateful ultimately really to be grateful to be able to do this and to live in such a beautiful country and to have fantastic people but also just going back to the relationship thing it's not just about your husband Mm -hmm. or your wife by the way it's also for me about like amazing actually friends who don't actually run um but thankfully they're all strong amazing women who have their own vices singing amazing careers and stuff like that but you really have to Appreciate them and remember that you know, you now have this thing that's taking up a lot of your time. You know, If you're not actually physically running, you're thinking about running, you're planning for running, you're washing your clothes <laughs> to be ready for running. So There's so many things to consider, but um, there's so many selling points. I think also so much that you learn from running is applicable, as I said so many times, to so many aspects of your life, and I think that has to help you 100%. One.
0: Wonderful. Barry, what about
4: you? I agree with everything that's been said there. I'm I'm also struck by there's a a famous Harvard scientist, Daniel Lieberman, um, and he, he talks about how we're walking around in bodies that evolved for long bouts of endurance exercise, whether it was because of transport or persistence hunting. You know, that's the genes that we carry with us evolved for a lot of. Long, slow exercise running more than more than walking in some respects, um, so it 's not surprising that running is so healthy you know it 's a real foundation of the human condition, I think, um, and so many of our modern diseases, what Daniel Lieberman calls mismatched diseases like diabetes and osteoporosis, uh, you don 't see them in groups of people. Uh, tribes that have a lot of uh, endurance exercise in their sort of daily lifestyle. And these are modern diseases in today's sedentary society. You used not see them as much um, as we do now. And one one sort of proposition or hypothesis is it's it's because um, we're no longer getting the exercise that our genes have designed us to need.
1: Well, last one. Um, <coughs> if you're trying to sell it to a 14-year-old, I guess you
2: get to mm. wear trendy trainers.
1: <laughs> 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 two <laughs>
2: springs in your shoes.
1: <laughs> um, I guess coming out uh, my, my competitive instinct always comes out in these things. But uh, like running in, along with soccer, is probably the only they're probably the only two truly global sports that are played in every country, in every parish, townland, right across the world. You know, Gaelic and JA is played in one country. I mean, are there there may be ten proper rugby playing nations in the entire world? Athletics and soccer are truly global. So if you want to test yourself against the best in the world, athletics is the sport for you. And no matter what level you're at, when the watch stops at the end of a race, you know exactly where you stand. There's nobody blaming a referee. There's nobody blaming outside influences. You know exactly where you stand. And you, know, you, know, you go to park runs tomorrow morning. People run 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 35 minutes. Whatever it is, that's you. And you know exactly where you stack up against the best in the world. And I love that of part about the sport. You can benchmark yourself against Kipchoge, or whoever it might be. Um, But the best part about the sport for me is the people that you meet. I mean, nights like this where you get to have a chat with other runners. Um, I've been, I mean, I was an athlete for a long time. I'm lucky enough to be able to to make a living from the sport now as well. I'm surrounded by runners, healthy people all of the time. And without a doubt, the best part of the sport is not not the fast races. It's the people that you meet along the way and the friendships that you pick up. Without a doubt, the best part of it.
0: It's wonderful, yeah, fantastic. And uh, one thing you none of you mentioned maybe you mentioned earlier is the longevity of it. You can just you know you can stop. You have to stop soccer at some point, but you can run, right? You can run for forever. Yeah, there's I mean a couple of amazing people around the town you know, here. I don't know what age you are, but a little bit older than me, and the c- they run every morning. It's fantastic. So that's that's a that's a plus.
1: Yeah, the the, the Masters Championships every year. There's usually a couple of people in the over seventy fives and the over eighty sections, and Brilliant. so you can go for whatever distance you want to whatever age you want. A quick
0: fire question to all of you, um, and then I, I will give the microphone away, is uh, the, you know, the what's your bucket list race, Emmet? I know you're no longer competitive, but if you were to pick a race tomorrow, your last if race, would it be? If I could do one
1: thing, I'd love to break the four-minute mile. I what got you within you a few have? seconds of it, but I didn't do it. It's not going to happen. few seconds of it? You got <laughs> to a few seconds of it. Uh, my 1,500 time would be about a 4.04. Wow. My oh. But if I could do one thing that would be it uh, would be. It's it. not going to happen now. So no, no, but <laughs> just, just, yeah, that's brilliant. Why
2: did you start with him?
1: Because <laughs> it <laughs> Because it,
0: uh, it's uh <laughs> What about you, Lalel? <laughs> oh, well, I'm,
2: I'm really working it, on my 4 <laughs> minute mile.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what's your ri- wh- What would you what's the place you want to go that you will go?
2: Um so for me, as I said before, a lot of it is about being around nature and beauty, and I love the long runs for sure, where I'm very grateful to do the, is it UTMP? The Eiger Trail in Switzerland in the summer. I'm really looking forward to that. It's not super long. It has a bit of elevation, so I'm really looking forward to that. But I would love to do, I think I might do the Eiger Trail. Did Mm -hmm. I say that on the stage? (laughs) And then I might, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Just some some long ones, but just where I get to see some beautiful parts of the world, definitely. Yeah.
0: Barry, what are you going to do? What's the bucket list one?
4: I'd love to see Emmett break up the
0: <laughs> <end>. <laughs> <laughs> With the, the Asia. <laughs> With the Give him a couple of watches. <laughs> and the shoes. And the shoes.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I suppose my, my bucket race at the moment is the Boston Marathon. I'd oh, love yeah. to do that. Yeah.
0: Nice. And last but not least, Rene, what's your bucket list race? There, there's a lot.
3: Uh, Just one?
0: Yeah, yeah. I would probably
3: go back and represent Denmark either in the European or the World Hill Running Championship. That nice. was the dream, and I missed it by quite a bit, so that would be
5: nice.
0: Nice, <laughs> well done. Um, uh, I mean, I hope hi- you agree with me that uh, just the amount of knowledge we can be here all night listen to, you know, just dig into the the running from all the angles, and it's just fantastic to have um, Rene. Orla, Barry, and Emish to discuss it with us. So a big round of applause before we yeah. get the microphone. Yeah. But now we'll get the microphone out to yeah. I can't oh that's Tanya. Anybody wants to ask a, a really difficult question now? <laughs> Tanya, there's somebody in the front. Yeah. So
2: first up there you go. Orla. So we talk, you guys talked about um, fast twitch, slow twitch and all that and, and improving times and distance and everything. So with somebody who it was potentially a sprinter, do you think it's possible for them to hit a marathon? Emmet. And if so, how? <laughs>
1: yeah, well, if anyone follows uh, David Gillick, um, you would have seen him last year, we started coaching him in January, and David, was he was a world championship finalist over 400 metres back in the day, so he was a very, very good sprinter, and he wanted to do a double marathon uh, last year. So uh, we started in <laughs> working together in January, and he ended up running 3.16 in the end for the double marathon um, for a sprinter, which was pretty good. But you talk about fast twitch and slow twitch, we would have done a, some lactate testing with him at the very beginning. His physiology was very much of the sprinter style, and it took know, nine or ten months to try and change that. He'll run faster. I think ultimately he'll break three hours for the marathon. Um, when he's going to do another one this year, but it's very possible. It's just a case of being patient. It's a ca- kind of acknowledging where you are at the moment, what you need to change, and then giving that enough time to make those changes over a couple of months and maybe even years. But yes, is the answer. <laughs> Go on, Lucianne.
2: You know you can do it. <laughs>
0: um, another question here from the front. Oh, yeah.
2: You're all very inspirational as a non-runner you're all really like you've really inspired me today i don't know if i'll run but you're really excellent <laughs> <laughs> yes you will yes you will yeah mm. um I, we've heard a lot about the physical training of what's involved tonight but like what i would be really fascinated is how you psychologically prepare and train your mind i suppose to enter whether it's the 2K from the couch or the first race, but like psychologically, is there much involved or what have you come across yourselves?
3: You could say there is. I have a controversial opinion on this because <laughs> I think it's kind of artificial, the division between psychological and physical, because where does one end and the other begin? Right? It's, so generally, the best way to be confident about any situation and activity you go into is to go into it in gradual enough steps. An example I was told by a coach many years ago was, he says if the first time you throw someone in a boxing ring, you throw him in totally unprepared, and he gets absolutely smashed up. Every time after that he goes into that ring, his body is going to be tense, and he's going to have all sorts of reflexes that are not optimal. And this is what happens to a lot of people, is that they simply step into a situation that's too far from the frame of reference they already have. So and that's the art of coaching in many ways as well. It's just to bring people slowly into something they can still imagine. It fills them with a little bit of anxiety but not dread. You know, you, there are mental techniques as well, you know, mindfulness, meditation, breathing techniques, focus words, all these things, but I actually think that's the eye candy. The main thing is just don't take too big a step at a time this is something John Lenehan, who is a real legend in this country, you know, world mountain-running champion, that was his favorite s- saying, certainly when I talked to him about a decade and a half ago in Glanaginti, he was saying a lot of people want to skip a step on the ladder, you know, just want to step over it. And they usually end up just falling down it. So I hope that kind of answers it, even if it's not and, really and on I, psychology. And if I come
2: in there as well, I totally agree with you. I think it's also about reframing it. I mean, I think ultimately, what are we scared of? Why do we need to be mentally prepared? Because we're scared. What are we scared of? Failure. So if you reframe failure, right, failure is not getting your PB. It's not getting to the end of the line. If you reframe it, actually failure is not putting your shoes on and showing up to that start line and doing your best and facing, this wasn't my day, but I'm going to give it another shot. For me, it's about reframing. You're never going to fail once you show up and get out that door and do it.
0: Anyone else? Does um, somebody at the very back there? Oh, there's another microphone. Oh, efficient. Hello. Oh, Hello. hi. Hi,
2: yeah. Um, stretching before, after, before and after. How important is it? It's hard enough to get out for one to to also stretch. Is like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> go on, Emma. You know you want to.
1: Yeah, if it's preventing you going out the door, don't stretch. Just just go and start slow. Um, Generally speaking, stretching beforehand, like static stretching, is something that we wouldn't recommend. Um, what is quite useful is doing small activation work with little mini bands, something that we do before club training a lot. Um, and that only takes sort of three or four minutes. Uh, if you're going to do some stretching, if you feel the need to improve your flexibility and mobility, which can be helpful, uh, do it afterwards. And preferably do it at the end of one of your longer runs or one of your harder runs of the week, where your, your muscles are at their warmest and they're going to be most responsive to that. But stretching is. Yeah, it, it probably gets overemphasized a little bit in terms of its importance. If you've got specific problems, then it, then it will be part of the rehab for that. But for most people on a day to day basis, you know, three to five minutes worth of stretching after your run is, is more than enough. I don't know if René would agree with that.
3: Yeah, I think it's a great summary. There's a lot of detail there. <laughs> if any, can I do a little plug, Andre?
0: I'm sure we plugged it everything it <laughs> from Carver <laughs> Shoes well to, it to it Kill uh, Cool uh, uh, Athletic uh, in case somebody didn't hear. We were <laughs> from Kill <my laughs> Cool. <laughs>
3: My, <laughs> my business partner, Owen Flynn, runs the Trail Running Ireland podcast. And this was actually the topic of the last one, I think. So if you are deeply interested in some details, l- listen back to the last one. And we talked a bit about the, so at the next level, the summaries. W- What's the name of the podcast? The
0: Trail Running Ireland podcast Wonderful. by <laughs> Owen Flynn. Make sure we cut that out before we put it out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Look, there, there's so much in- information and so much wealth of information. So please do, do listen to Rene's and the podcast. Uh, any other questions? somebody's trying to leave now no you can't leave yet <laughs> you have to wait a minute I think uh, Alan had one there. oh there he is sorry somebody down there uh, there's behind you oh. sorry the lights i can't see anything
1: how you doing um i'm just still getting over the shock that uh, barry told me when i reached my limit uh, 15 <laughs> years ago <laughs> <laughs> so uh so i've got into back into running during COVID, and uh, all my friends around me seem to be getting new hips And when I tell them I'm now running up mountains, they're all saying, "Oh, that's it, you're fucked." So what do I, what do I say to them? I'm enjoying it by hell, and I'm going to keep going. But is there data, Mr. Barry? Is there data to back up that I'm going to be okay and I won't need a hip?
4: You're going to be fine. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Send me the link.
4: No, I like you know. I mean, the evidence is there. There are plenty of people that. Keep running, keep performing well in races, keep enjoying themselves in races well into much older years than we are now. Um, it may be true that people tend to, to run their fastest race sometime in their 40s, um, but there, I, I've been getting faster each year, which I- is terrifying me now because every time I line up at the start line, I feel like I, you need to get another PP, which is probably the wrong attitude to have. Um, but people do get faster, well into their 50s. And there's this lovely thing of age-graded time, which is your finished time modified by your age. And that
1: really helps a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like, I like that a lot. And, and to back up what the lad said earlier, I love looking at the end of a, an organized run. it breaks it down into age, and I just go straight to the oldies. Yeah. As you said earlier, there was an 80-year-old Finnish hope yeah. recently. And it was a 75 and a, a woman at 75. So I just think it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and it's if, you n- if
4: you need to hit the carbon plate, <laughs> you <guys won't> get <laughs> it comes
0: with a new pair of shoes. <laughs> 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 uh, anyone else? Sorry, I can't see you, but I'm sure you. you There's somebody there, in the column, please.
5: Hi. Uh, I'm audible? Yep. Uh, you were talking about age of practice, the practice age. So in that practice age, what is counted? Is it the running age, or even a sportsman earlier, probably 20 years back you're into serious sports? 20 years of sports, and then you're probably running from last five years. So what is your running uh, age? age?
1: Your training age.
5: Your training age. Yeah.
1: So I mean, if you're coming from. Um, a team sports background, or maybe from a sprints background, I'd only count your training age as, as the work that you've done on the endurance side. And it's not dis- to disregard all of the training that you've done in, in in previous sports. But when I suppose what we were talking about there was the development of the aerobic engine, and, and your heart and lungs, and your ability to, to build on your endurance. Um, and when you look at Tour who, who continue to improve into their 30s, 40s, and maybe even into their 50s, then I would look at their training age of the amount of years that they've been running long distance as opposed to the the stuff they've been doing at at shorter events. Because ultimately, if you're training for team sports, or you might be training for sprints or something like that, they're more power-based. It's a different physiological system, so it doesn't really contribute to to what you're trying to do over the longer stuff.
5: And would that affect your injury as well, in terms of that age? It was a fast game early, 20 years. It's my example. I used to play basketball, which is a faster game. And post that 20 years of the corporate life, doing nothing, just partying around. Then started running from last five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and that was, that was the fact, and l- been running long distances from last five years. And would that be, the you know, causes my injuries? So I'm just bothered about that as to how am I'm going to get out of the last 10 months, even a tough time to get out of that, you know? So would that be a correlation between those two things?
1: Uh, generally speaking, I wouldn't think so. I don't know if Rene might have an opinion on that, but I mean, unless you had particularly traumatic injuries in your previous sport in basketball, uh, it shouldn't necessarily translate into into injuries as a runner, particularly if you've had a break in between. Yeah, no, that comes back to what Barry was saying, you know, that the main
3: correlation with injury, regardless of all the other things, is previous injury. So obviously if you do carry a serious injury from your previous sport, and it's going to be a problem. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's... It, it's the rate of change that is the biggest issue yeah. in general. So if that, that break you've had after your previous sporting career is obviously... Like, that's often the problem because then you can ramp up quite quickly, especially if you have some physical competencies, you're very strong. And that can work against some people because they're actually capable of creating quite a lot of force when they run. And that means they might actually go out and run fairly fast, but too much too soon. And then you have the break. Um, so th- in some respects, you, know, when you, you have to really respect your inactivity periods. That's when you need to be most wary. Uh, so I'd say as long as you manage that, you won't have too many problems.
0: Thank you. And uh, One more question down the end in the corner here. Uh, ask him a hard one, will you? Is <laughs> that too easy?
4: Um, I suppose cross training kind of comes into it. So obviously, a lot of people in the in the room are into running, and other people thinking of taking it up. But um, h- how does cross training factor in? Yeah, it?
1: it's something that I use with quite a lot of athletes uh, at all levels. In that there's some people just there's a certain amount of miles or kilometres that they can run in a week, and once they go beyond that thing that little niggles and injuries tend to creep in and you can work around that you could spend a long period of time working on strength and conditioning and working on biomechanics but very often the quick fix is okay maybe reduce the mileage a little bit and add in some cross training so that might be some biking might be some aqua jogging might be on the elliptical trainer anything that really elevates your heart rates um and i suppose there's there's multiple examples of athletes over the years who have spent an awful lot of time cross training um one at the moment is um eilish who broke most of the British records over five K and ten K and she does a huge amount of her work on the cross trainer. I think she only runs about maybe thirty to forty mile a week, which for an elite yeah. athlete is very low. Um, so there's lots of examples of people who use cross training. Ultimately when you're I, I would say if you're doing a lot of cross training, you need to do your specific hard workouts in the in while you're running. Okay, so your hard workouts and your long runs are, are running and then a lot of the recovery stuff the supplementary can be done. On a cross trainer, where you're just working at certain heart rate levels, so it definitely plays a role. Um, some people never cross train and don't need to, and that's great. But other people will need to have it as part of their program. When so you say
2: cross train, you talking cross trainer. Are you talking about a specific machine? Or are you talking about weights and all of that?
1: No, no. So it'll be something aerobic. So either the ones that I'd recommend would be either cycling, so indoor or outdoor, depending on whichever. Uh, on the elliptical trainer, so like the cross trainer machine, or aqua jogging in the pool, or swimming either. So they they tend to be the most useful for runners
4: or if, you have if you're holding a niggle or holding a, a bad injury, let's say, I found a cross-training. So, interesting. Thanks.
0: Jeez, I'm, I'm knackered now.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm going to stop. As, as of tomorrow morning, I'm finally stopping running. There's somebody there. <laughs> uh, somebody there. <laughs> that's just just painful. Um, <laughs> they're just there. Uh, yeah. Thank
1: you. Thank you. First of all, I would like to thank you, Andrea, and all of you, because it was an amazing evening. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Secondly, I have a tough question. Thank you. Thank you. I think that you are very lucky
3: because you work with people that are super motivated, so well done. But if you have someone like me that
1: has no motivation at all, <laughs> or maybe is very easily going down and losing, or maybe say, I tried today, and then tomorrow. <laughs> No, hopefully it's my wife. She would like to bring me out of the couch, but I'm embedded in the couch. <laughs> <laughs> How can you? What do you like to tell this person, like me, or maybe some other that will be? As we say in Italy, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. I know you're fool. I know you're both full in your. Um, you don't have space for any more people, but Fabio would like to be. <laughs> maybe that
1: new running group that's starting next <laughs> Tuesday might be <laughs> interested. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, it's probably something we've touched on a few times. If you're struggling with motivation, find you know at least one person or maybe even a group of people to run with. And once there's, <laughs> but once there's a time and a day to meet, then it makes the whole thing so much easier rather than trying to drag yourself out from the couch on your own. So find a group. Chat to whoever is setting up that group next Tuesday. Yeah,
0: and I'm gonna name him in the middle. Uh, they're somewhere down there. So, uh, yeah, you can hear him. <laughs> Put the spotlight on him. Uh, any more questions before I let you go home? It is Friday night after all. Um, okay, great. So listen, uh, I would like to thank you again for being here, spending the last few hours with us. It's always an amazing pleasure to have you. And I'd like to thank again our wonderful guests and don't have to name them again you know who they are seek them out on social media whatever you do go running with them and ask B- Barry f- to give you all the data about it <laughs> and thanks a million <laughs> thank you very much thank you, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation about running recorded live in the Whale Theatre in Greystones. If you did, please rate us, review us, and share the episode. It's much appreciated. For more information and for more episodes, please visit socialfabric.ie. Thank you.
6: Shatter on the floor, happy and shining like a sunny day. We never gave up just asking for, happy and shining like a sunny day.